are talking about quite um, real situations with real people. I'm very enthused about what I do, but it isn't having to do with um, real human beings in the immediate future. It's a little bit um, out into the future. But nonetheless, I think it's great stuff. So I wanted to share a little bit with, about, uh, with, that, with you about that today. Um, the work that I've been involved in the last year and a half or so has to do with using computer modeling to help predict what we as taxpayers might get from the Department of Energy funding some of these um, energy efficiency and renewable energy technologies. Um, I just have to have one of my favorite pictures up here about green technology. My previous project was in Greensburg, Kansas, and this is quite a remarkable hospital. It'll be the first LEED Platinum critical care facility in the country, and they did it in a town of 800 people, and they have a 50 kilowatt wind turbine. And our slogan is, if Greensburg can do it, anybody can do it. So your taxpayer dollars at work, now these are normalized dollars, but this goes back to 1978 on the left and extends out to 2008. So this is the budget for the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, which is um, certainly one of the central federal agencies that funds renewables and energy efficiency. So as you can see, it was very large following the energy crisis of the 1970s and then dropped off precipitously, rocked a little bit up and down, has had a little bit of increase in the last um, few years. So what do we do with that money? How do we know what we should use that money for? Um, just a note, I'm going to use the acronym EERE a lot because it stands for Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. Uh, let's see. I chose these pictures because the top one is Art Nozick, um, who is one of our eminent physicists at the National Renewable Energy Lab. We serve um, all kinds of uh, purposes for EERE. And he works in the nanotechnology area. And the bottom picture is our brand new zero energy building. We've uh, researched, it's, a, it's actually an office building, but it's powered by photovoltaics and super efficient. I moved in there in about two weeks. Okay, for reference, I'll mention things like efficiency, electricity generation, um, alternative fuels vehicles, and then these kinds of program names. They're pretty self-explanatory by this time of the day. Um, so what helps us improve the credibility of an agency budget request? A lot of people are real cynical about this. I have my moments of being cynical too, but there is some rationality and there is some sincere attempt at trying to be rational. Um, and part of the justification or the driver is legislation that was passed um, back in 1993 under, um, I guess it was President Carter, not Carter, uh, Clinton. And that has a section in it that requires strong substantiation, preferably quantitative, as to what you're going to get out of that funding. Um, so judging the effectiveness 
We do do some of this quantitatively. You can't do everything. Quantitatively, you can do good things with cost numbers. It's very hard to... Hi, can I help you? Well, I was wondering if you'd like to get rid of this and have the full screen. You know how to do well, that? Well, oh, I know how to do that. My brain's just in a different place. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's a good suggestion. Thank you. I would do it for the other speakers. Yeah. You might just back off from the microphone a bit. I'm booming, huh? Yeah, it's a little bit loud. A little loud. I must be all the way out in the other rooms. Huh? Right. Okay, yeah, we don't want to be up. out in the other rooms. We turned up the volume and now I get close. That's good. All right. We love hearing you. Thank you, Randy. You're always kind. Um, the middle block of text there mentions some of the things that are very difficult to analyze quantitatively. And so the bottom line is at the bottom. Ways to do this, but infrastructure issues, lack of grid access, uh, grid transmission, risk levels, um, lack of skilled workers, lack of incentives to retire the current uh, batch of uh, energy infrastructure, those are all issues that are hard to quantify. So here's part of the logic. If you, the taxpayer, provide me some funding, I'm gonna do something with it, I'm gonna make some progress, and I'll eventually produce a product for you that will get you some of the benefits that you want. So we try to quantify that process. Um, we think it's pretty important because the White House Office of Management and Budget takes anything the department desires and strongly reviews it, criticizes it, and chops it apart. Um, and they like to know, on behalf of the president, what you know he can tell the national constituents, us, real folk, what we're going to get out of this. Um, does support compliance. All these efforts also support uh, the portfolio decisions that EERE has to make every year. Where should we invest the next, you know, hundred million or half a uh, half a billion of taxpayer dollars to have the most effect? Uh, it also generates lots of data we use in many studies, as Stan mentioned in his talk. Computer simulations simulate experiments. Well, computer modeling also simulates what's going to happen to the energy markets in the future, and that helps you know where to put your, your monies for research. Okay, integration is an important thing because there's modeling tools out there or calculators that'll play with numbers, but they won't compete technologies against each other. That's so important. That's what drives our you know, capitalistic economy in the first place. And if you don't uh, model that kind of competition, you're never going to get anything near reality. Uh, so the models that we choose are integrated economic energy uh, modeling systems. Okay, we use, um, the upper left is NEMS, National Energy Modeling System, that was developed and it's currently used by the EIA for all of its marvelous data and projections on their uh, website areas. And we use something in the lower portion called MARCAL, stands for Market Allocation, that was developed by Brookhaven National Laboratory. And we use MSET in the upper right, which was developed by Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Uh, so I just wrote that out here. Uh, NEMS and Markel, we use both of those because they differ in how they do their calculations. And we want 
to see the, we want to see at least a spread of a couple of numbers by different systems for, you know, reality checking and things like that. Um, Markel goes further out in time. There's a lot of benefits to us from seeing both outputs. And then IMSET is used to take investments out of the NEM system and come up with economic impacts and job estimates. But I had to put big notes in the bottom. Uh, modeling is not a be-all and end-all. Part of the danger of this is that congressional staffers take what we say might be in the future and suddenly you've got this number floating all over the hill where the Department of Energy says it's going to be X. Well, might be X, might be near X. But the most important way to use these kind of models is to look for trends and to pit one case against another so that you can test different things. It's kind of like being a doctor, you know, testing different treatments. So we get inputs, um, which are things like the cost of constructing a, a solar power plant of different types, or a biorefinery, or wind farms. We get the cost of advanced vehicles compared to today's vehicles. We get biofuels yield numbers as they're projected to be in the future. Um, the percent of time, the capacity factor for solar and wind plants that uh, is supposed to change or should be changing and improving over time. We get resource supply curves. How much energy um, at what price from where. Um, energy efficiency projections, um, miles per gallon improvement, vehicle fuel efficiency projections. We give all that data to our two modeling teams and they come up with results about uh, after wind competes with solar, competes with coal, competes with nuclear, and efficiency uh, um, cuts off of electricity usage right from the top. The integrated models come up with um, uh, electricity generation, fuels usage, every aspect of energy in an economy you can imagine and we're in a lot of detail. Hi, Randy. Let's get that volume down a little more. You know, if I step back too far, it just cuts out. Yeah, that's right. It does uh, a little bit to hearing you. I don't see the volume control. Okay. I don't know that we have a volume control. They just told me there was one, but I don't see it. Okay. All right. Just okay. Back I up will a try. Bit more. I will try not to blast you. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> but I don't want to not have these people hear me either. Right. Well, we'll see what we can do. Um, okay, so at any rate, we get these intermediate kind of market penetration um, estimates, and then we can turn that into key things that are important for um, politicians to track, for all of us to look at things like um, what's happening to CO2 emissions. What's happening to our total use of energy? Is it under control? See how it goes in and out? Yeah, that's our problem. They were bragging before the conference how the tolerance it would be. You can tell them they can quit bragging. <laughs> so we look at um, measures in all three areas about energy security, about environmental improvements, and about economics.
Okay, yeah, just an example of the inputs. Uh, commercial PV costs, residential PV costs. Uh, we do use all of the economic assumptions that Energy Information Administration does. We don't invent those out of thin air. And then we modify it for a base case, which a base case means we don't get any funding. We don't get any funding for the year in question. And we don't get any funding for the next several years after that. That's our base case. I'll explain a little more here. The way we calculate benefits is to run these models with the base case. They chop off the funding compared to a program case where they give us enough funding to accomplish the program goals in the first year that's in question and then until those goals are accomplished. And we usually get asked to run these things for a target and an over-target kind of budget request. And the benefits is the delta between the, the, two, um, the two cases. We pay a lot of attention to assumptions because if you don't understand the assumptions behind a modeling run, you can totally misinterpret the results. Um, we look at economic conditions. We, can, we have modeled with higher and lower oil prices when the oil prices were skyrocketing. Um, we look a lot at policies. We generally assume that today's policies stay in force, but we don't. When we want to assume a new policy in the future, we do that very carefully as a special as a special study because we're not in the business of predicting what policies are going to happen. Um, and then we play around with who gets funding. Does it go to the solar program? Does it go to the wind program? Does it go more towards the group of electricity generation versus the group of um, electrical or group of energy efficiency? We look at all those parameters. So now I'm gonna, that's the background. So it provides insight into a variety of important questions that are affected by DOE funding. So I wanna give you some examples of questions that we, we look at frequently. Um, future oil imports, a couple of the speakers have mentioned our dependence on foreign oil. Uh, I didn't put a graph, but you can see the historical on the left side of this. It's just been growing like crazy since um, the early 1980s. And you can see uh, the differences. It is expected to come down both uh, due to the economic downturn the current fuel economy standards are better than they were. Um, we are gradually, slowly increasing the use of biofuels and some increases in uh, domestic oil production will take it down some, but then into the future, we're gonna begin traveling again as the economy recovers, gets better, and it's just gonna be basically flat without the DOE funding, but if we can get the funding and we can accomplish what we want to do in biofuels um, and fuel cell vehicles and other vehicle technologies, we expect that to be a remarkable reduction by uh, 2050 in oil imports. We can also break this down by programs, and as you can see, as one might expect, fuel cell, which is primarily vehicles, and um, other vehicle technologies, these are like plug-in hybrids and um, it advances in diesel trucks and all kinds of uh, different things. 
they, they're looking at, I don't know, 12, 15 different vehicle uh, technologies that they're working on improving. The vehicle work potentially has a lot better impact than the actual biomass or biofuels uh, possibilities. So that raises some questions for EERE management to take a look at. Um, will we meet the president's goal for carbon emissions reduction? Haha, <laughs> no. Simple answer. Absolutely no. Um, if you look at what the current uh, goal is, it's 80% reduction compared to 1990. That takes you down to a level of 1,000 million metric tons of CO2 per year. And you can see where we are now. Um, 2010 is in the range of, what, 5,700? And we're supposed to take it down to 1,000. And as best we can calculate, um, the EERE funding will get it down quite a bit compared to not having EERE funding, but it won't get anywhere near what they want to accomplish. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get into carbon policies. And again, it's, all, it's very interesting to look at the program breakdowns. The top three here, um, buildings, industry, and vehicles are essentially technologies that will help use less energy in all those areas. And you heard over and over, if you were listening to um, Stan and other talks, is that efficiency is the first thing that we need to improve. And you see why here. Um, more benefits will come to us from reducing the use of energy than will come from switching energy sources. Can we really reduce energy use? Um, that one is a resounding yes. Now, our assumption here is, uh, based on EIA, you know, our economy the last several years it typically grows at a couple of percent a year. Well, their projection uh, out to 2030 is 2.5% compound annual growth rate. So that's what we assume in this modeling. And even without funding EERE, our current industries and businesses and even people are interested enough that the rate of increase should be markedly less than that in the future. We're all looking at well, a higher energy, uh, or I should say a much lower energy intensity for our economy than it is in the future. Uh, and you can sort of see that on the slope of the, the dashed blue line compared to the slope of the solid black line. But if we fund EERE with its uh, great ideas around reducing industrial energy use and buildings energy use and vehicle energy use, it's actually expected, energy use is expected to decline significantly even though the economy is growing at 2.5% a year. I think that's one of the, the best stories that um, we consistently find. So how much could all this cost us, though? Now, an energy user in this graph is you and me. An energy user is the uh, biofuels plant. It won't be Jack's, thank you, it won't be Jack's SSAS. These, are <laughs> these represent businesses that are on using, um, you know, national energy resources. But what we find is that because of the actual um, decrease, the significant decreases in using energy overall and not having to purchase much, as much you know, fuel, 
by using more renewables, the consumers are actually going to save hundreds of billions a year in the United States. Same story for the utilities. You know, the utilities are the ones that are going to have to be putting in the new, um, well, not the only ones, but certainly have to be putting in the new technologies. But even they will end up saving billions per year um, going this route. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. I will, I will point this. I will talk about this a little bit. Um, no, it's too. I haven't got time. We're going to skip that. Okay. What regions of the country? We can do some of these analyses regionally. Um, as you can see, the darkest colors are up in the northwest with the hydro. Middle portion of the country with wind. Uh, the southwest and Texas with wind and solar, actually, and solar. Um, let's see. The southeast is the area that has less resources than other um, areas. But we can do this you know, quite quantitatively. I have a couple of slides on carbon prices. Uh, that came up, um, I think, in Ben's talk and another one this morning. So a car, oh, and uh, Roots, yeah. The carbon price encourages people to use less energy because you make them pay for it, pay for the carbon that's uh, emitted. We chose to use some numbers about how much that would be based on an EIA study. And it, you can see the top green bracket on the right with the big type. It says reduction of 3,700 million metric tons of CO2 due only to the carbon price policy. That's the most important thing that will make a significant difference. But adding in more um, faster technology advancements through EERE funding will give another significant kick to it. But we just can't do it, unfortunately, without uh, the carbon policy of some sort. Let's see. I think I can talk through this pretty quick. Basin portfolio. Those little arrows connect up to, if you don't have a policy, you're going to have mostly your electricity coming from coal and natural gas. If you do have a carbon price, you'll get a bit more of a mix, but your most important source becomes nuclear. And then natural gas, then coal and wind. If you have a carbon price with the ERE funding, one of the main advantages is that coal disappears as an energy source and with it all of the issues that come with coal, and you have um, the electricity coming from nuclear, wind, and solar. So these kinds of insights are very helpful for DOE management. Um, carbon cap and trade is a different type of policy. Um, and the, the blue are basically the policy alone. The green is... Um, Oh, sorry, the, the blue is no policy, no funding. The green is the policy alone. And what you see the red does, policy alone certainly, certainly brings up um, the uh, energy prices for the consumers, as you would expect. But the red blocks take it back down again. And that's the EERE funding that can help reduce the cost of these new uh, new technologies, so that we can help the consumers save money. 
So that's where I want to stop. The, we do have a website here if you're interested where these kinds of results are posted after uh, the analyses are done. These are done um, once a year and finalized. You know, the president's budget comes out with the State of the Union in, in uh, early February or late January, and that's when we publish these every year. So there's my contact info if you're interested, and I'd be happy to take any questions or comments you have. Hi, go right ahead. Whew. It's hard to bend over and stay near that mic yeah. while you're trying to think. We tend to run things that are um, related to, yes, and let me repeat the question. He asked if um, any of the modeling we've done gets down to the 80% reduction level for CO2, down to that 1,000 million metric tons a year. And the type of work that I personally focus on has to do with the actual budget request. And since a budget request of astronomical amounts of dollars is just not considered, um, not in the piece that I do, however, we do have other analysts doing other kinds of studies, and um, they'll do things, we do things like looking at an 80% uh, renewable energy electricity picture. Can we get to 80%? That's really radical. We're working it with, believe it or not, utilities. They come in quite skeptical, but we keep working with them and showing them and learning from them about how to deal with intermittency and so on and so forth. That gets you a lot closer to that goal than um, trying to stay with reasonable budgets. Other questions? Yeah. All right, let me answer the second one first. Have we considered um, the shift of industries to China and other places? And frankly, no, other than our awareness that that is a weakness in what we do. This is strictly a kind of a US-centric um, effort, but we have talked about one of the things we need to do better is to make this more of a global, because you can't deny that um, important impact on the, the uh, U.S. industrial future, U.S. jobs, and things of that nature. It's a very important factor. Um, the first one about cost, were you talking about R&D costs? Yeah. Well, the R&D cost is, you know, the, the DOE budget has been a couple billion a year for EERE for some time. And that is such a drop in the bucket compared to the size of the energy economy, which is well over trillions in this country. Um, that you know that certainly has political ramifications, uh, but it doesn't 
uh, doesn't really factor into the ultimate cost for the energy consumer. If we can, at, at those levels or even double those levels, if we can get the cost of energy down for the consumer, it, it'll pay for itself hundreds of times over. Okay, one more question. Well, let's take you up in the front. You can get me afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, um, yes, the question was whether we've run scenarios with um, very high oil prices. And certainly, what was it, 2008 when the oil prices went skyrocketed on us. Um, I can't tell you from my personal experience, because I didn't come into this job until early of 2009, but I know that they um, did run a wide variety of scenarios around high oil prices um, going into the future. And what could that do? And that certainly, if, if oil stays or would go back up and stay at a you know hundred dollars a barrel, hundred fifty dollars a barrel, um, that would certainly make biofuels easy, uh, have, give them much more of a competitive advantage than they have right now. The other thing we've looked at is commodity price increases. You recall when copper and concrete and steel suddenly shot up in cost. Um, we did some extra studies to see what that effect would be. So we use this as a pretty flexible um, set of models to use to look at impacts of all kinds of things. Okay, now I'm going to turn back and be a moderator again. <laughs> Paul, I think it's time for you to come up. Paul's got uh, people pictures. I love people pictures too, but this time I had to give you charts and graphs. Okay. Paul, you get this hardware. I'm going to check out the speaker here. Can you try to fix that again? Well, before they fixed it, enough. no, you had to be touching it with your lips or it wouldn't project. Testing, can everyone hear me? No, see? No, if you're back an inch, it doesn't work, and if you're forward a quarter of an inch, it will work. So it's a horribly tight range. You should be there so you have yes. This is supposed to be, that's fine too. I don't know who that is. Paul, this goes. Where you're going to stand and, and right. Yeah, let's get this. This goes in, in, in a pocket somewhere. Okay. And this goes uh, right below your button. Mm -hmm. In or out of pocket. I think that'll, now let me get my slides up here. Okay, I can do that for you. Let's see here, here we go. Yeah, okay, see that all up. All right, looks good. Do a little testing so she can set the volume. Okay, I'm going to uh, start talking here as we uh, test out the volume and see if this is uh, steady. I'm going to try to just stay at this